Hey guys, real quick content warning before we get the show underway today. The film that we're going to be reviewing, Summer Catch, has a lot of sexual material. Uh, So naturally, we're going to be talking a lot about sex in this episode. I went ahead and censored a lot of the, uh, all of the profanity, uh, but there's still going to be a lot of sexual content discussed uh, from a critical point of view in this episode. So if you're uncomfortable with that, you've got young ones in the car, completely understand. Uh, You might want to listen to this one later or join us next week when we will be reviewing a less sexually charged film. Uh, But without further ado, here is our review of Summer Catch. Hope you guys enjoy. baseball movies ever made here on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ashley McLennan. With me, as always, is my co-host, Darby Robinson, and our intrepid producer, Brett Rutherford. Uh, And this week, God help us, we didn't let you pick the title, um, but we did ourselves in no matter what, because we did pick another of the top five from my original post. Uh, And this week, we will be discussing Summer Catch. So Darby, take it away and tell us a little bit about this uh, misguided rom-com yes so summer catch is basically all about the cape cod baseball league uh the synopsis from rotten tomatoes where this film got a solid eight percent uh is uh it follows um a coming of age romantic comedy set against the backdrop of the cape cod baseball league Local boy Ryan Dunn, played by Freddie Prince Jr., now a pitcher at for Boston College. Incorrect. Already, this is off to a bad start. Not he's former pitcher at Boston College. Uh, meets Tenley Parrish, played by Jessica Beale, the daughter of a wealthy couple who summer on the Cape. Ryan and Tenley fall in love, much to the chagrin of their families. Also questionable, uh, a one family while Ryan clings to one last hope of being discovered and signed to a pro baseball contract. So yeah, we got a Cape Cod League baseball movie. And so part of that summary is accurate-ish. You can tell that this movie was really pitched, so to speak, uh, as at least marketed with the way I remember it when it first came out as a a summertime rom-com. Like it was meant to be like boy meets girl, they fall in love. It's a little bit Romeo and Juliet. It is quite literally Romeo and Juliet following the pool scene um, where they're making out in the pool in the rain. And like she she, she runs into the car and she's like, if my dad finds us, he's going to kill us. And I'm like, girl, you are an adult woman. You have graduated from university. You're talking about grad school and like your career. And you're worried daddy's going to be so mad. He'll kill you. Um, And and also that scene, they're swimming in her pool. Yeah, she invited him over. It's not even trespassing. It it was her idea. And yeah, so, and if if they're, anyway, we'll get into the, the nuances, so to speak, of this. But it's just, it's, it's marketed wrong. Like there is that romance at the core of it. Absolutely. Um, it's terrible. It, it's a chemistry list void of anything you care about whatsoever um, with two leads who are as wooden as the bats that these guys are not used to playing with yet. And I think <laughs> it like, really skips over the fact that there's these side stories. Like you have the side story specifically of Billy played by Matthew Lillard uh, coming at us two weeks in a row uh, and failing both times. 
and uh, although I think he was better here because he clearly wasn't the villain um and I think they were trying to like really like play off of his success from Scream and like really use him as that stew character they love a quirky it's it's only it unfortunately for for Matthew Lillard is it he worked so well in Scream yeah and so poorly in everything else he was in in the 90s yeah and this is 2001 but basically the 90s i'd argue hackers is the only other place he worked oh, really yeah. well as serial yeah. killer um but yeah he he his he was typecast into a type and by golly they wanted that character and lillard to just do 110 percent lillard in every one of these roles yeah he literally they wanted him to be stew from scream but kill less people um and <laughs> it only really managed to kill his career which is really unfortunate because he's like he's coming back like he's he's been in stuff like um, Bosch on on Prime, which he was really good in. Um, and Solid so he, cameo in The Descendants. Nice. Um, Alexander Payne's The Descendants. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like he he's got the skill, but yeah, he was absolutely pigeonholed for a good decade. Um, and they really want him to be like the comic relief in this role, um, but without giving him any actually funny lines. Like he just comes across as like. A, I'm going to say it. We're going to have the first bleep of the show, man. He comes across as a jackass and it, it just, he leans right into it and it makes it so it's really hard to feel for him in, in a way that I think you would want to, because Billy's story is actually really quite compelling for a guy coming into the Cape Cod league for the first time. He's, you know, a good quality college bat. He really wants to make it to the majors, but he's never played in a wood bat league before. And so he's struggling and you can tell he's swinging way too late. He's uncomfortable with it. He's not seeing his pitch as well. Uh, he's a catcher, of course, because your comic relief always has to come in the form of your catcher. And that's a very interesting story of, of a guy who's like used to being really good and he's kind of cocky and he's struggling so hard at the level that he needs to be at to get a hire. And yet because he's been such a jerk through the bulk of the movie up to that point it's really hard to feel for him when he starts to succeed like i you kind of do because he's he's a well-meaning jerk but it, it, i think that if billy was the main character of this they could have built up to that so much better well i think that's i think you kind of nailed the idea though is that this is this is at center and it's obviously marketed very much it's a rom-com right because you have freddie prince jr and jessica biel at this time are pretty big stars um, and very soon after, their stars fade rapidly just because I, I just don't think they either has the charisma to really sustain being the lead person. Um, again, both have, both have gone on to do other stuff, but like it, it's tough, right? They were in the moment as big, big, big stars. And so you have these two as the lead and it's the romantic comedy. And then you have a bunch of interesting side characters or trying to be interesting side characters. They all are given a big like thing or, or character trope or storyline, but not enough time to actually do anything with it or well-written enough to make it interesting or funny. And I do think you could maybe do one or the other and make this more of an ensemble where you have just the, this, this, all the quirks of, uh, of the Cape Cod League. And you have the, the, the guy, like you said, Billy Brubaker, who's struggling to adapt. You have the superstar who's trying to, to boost his draft stock a little bit. Yeah. You have other guys trying to break out. And, and then you also have the local kid who's you know working class trying to, to make something. And they could all have, if maybe that romantic subplot was just 
one of the character subplots and Freddie Prince Jr. was maybe the lead of the ensemble, but not given equal time. Mm -hmm. Maybe you might have a stronger movie of every single individual character is given a little bit more time, more share of the pie and everybody's doing their own thing. I think you then just still need a better written and directed movie, but I think that would have been at least a more interesting thing just because the more time we get with um, Ryan Dunn and Tenley Parrish, Freddie Prince Jr. and Jessica Biel, it just doesn't work. They have terrible chemistry, but it's also just both of those characters are so dull. Yeah. They're so dull. Yeah, I made a note that it really did feel like it was like maybe four different scripts for different baseball movies that were kind of wedged together um, and none of them were done well. Like it's the problem is that like there's so much going on and I think at its core it has elements that would work really well to make a fun, enjoyable, like American pie-ish boys being boys as much as I hate to use the phrase but like they're boys of a certain age that are kind of experiencing freedom for the first time trying to make it in their careers and I think that there's an element of that that feeds into like a bit of body behavior um discovering who you are learning that maybe you don't have what it takes to live out that dream that you want and I think that that's where you would see like a real and I love this phrase because I think it would have been worked if it was a real buildings roman like if it really was a proper coming of age story about these guys on the cusp of like manhood and adulthood and like really kind of figuring out their path and it even starts with four narratives like there's four voiceovers at the beginning and it kind of leads you to believe that like these four guys are going to be the guys that you follow but by the end of it it's just ryan um and he's he's off to chase his girl like a literal chase at the airport scene the happens airport. Yeah. in this movie and I think had it leaned in and just been a baseball romance, great. That could have been done so much better because you could have cut a lot of the the excess with the other guys out and just had them play like cutesy background characters and scenes and had a better buildup between those two characters. Because honestly, it's just a mishmash of scenes where you feel like the real relationship development has happened in between those scenes and you just don't yes. get to see it. It's totally true. So the, the film starts um, the night before the Cape Cod League begins and uh, Ryan Dunn is with his his uh, townie Cape Cape friends and they're all hanging out and it's and it's his two like kind of knock around these Northeastern guys uh, and then Brittany Murphy who is really good at this. Brittany Murphy. Br Brittany Murphy. What a like there is a lot there is a critical lack of charisma in this film but it is not from Brittany Murphy who is really like, you could just tell like, okay, this person actually has got it. And uh, yeah, RIP. She, she is really interesting and kind of, her character is a little bit of a mess, but I do think that it, at the very least, there is a character there and it's yep. interesting. Towny, um, played by, she's playing Dee Dee Mulligan, who, uh, who, who convinces Ryan Dunn to uh to to stay out not to stay out drinking and uh and, and have sex on the pitcher's mound and uh and spend the night out on the field because he was gonna he was instead gonna sleep on the pitcher's mound apparently to Dug make out. sure he's it was on the, time it was the bullpen mound bullpen mound that's right yeah. not in the yeah not that it matters uh, <laughs> not that it matters it's still a very uncomfortable place he should sleep in his house the cape is not that big he could still get there at 8 a.m which isn't even that early um, but anyway, uh, a night of drinking and uh, and cavorting and swapping of underwear uh, leads to the first 
attempt at humor in the film uh, where where the he where Ryan's late and he has to run in uh, practically naked wearing Brittany Murphy's um, thong. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that's the, like the thing has inexplicably stolen his entire uniform to go home yeah. in. <laughs> yes, like there's a yes. she makes a big point the night of where she takes his underwear and he inexplicably and i i am obviously the only woman on this podcast so i can only speak from my experience inexplicably asks her why do girls keep stealing my underwear and i'm like is this a real problem for men because i've gone through 37 years of my life without ever stealing a pair of underwear from a man and ever leaving mine behind by accident for him to wear so um, I did make a note of that because I'm like, is this a real issue for guys? Because he makes it sound like it happens an awful lot. Justin um, Chatham. It's a Chatham. Just, yeah, it's just Chatham. Just uh, a Chatham that's, problem. That's, we don't know. We're none of us are from the Cape, but I can only imagine it's uh, it's a weird place out there. That salty sea air yes. just makes people go nuts. Um, yeah, that scene, like, I, so you mentioned like American Pie. The film tonally just tries to steal a bunch of stuff from films that work better. There's a, a, a scene where we get introduced to the kind of the meet cute, if there is one of Jessica Biel and Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, is Tenley, her character. Tenley is such a, that is, I think actually a perfect name because that is the most quintessentially way Rich too much white girl family name. wealth name. Yeah, yeah that's, that's way too much generational wealth name we were just like, whatever, Tenley. I, I heard that name is three different things. First, I'm like, Henley. Henley's an interesting name Hen for a rich yeah. girl. And then I'm like, is it Tinley? And then no, it's Tenley. Like it's Tenley. the dumbest name. It's a no, it's, no it's, offense to Henley. Tenley's listening to this, but your, <laughs> your, your parents have done you dirty. Yes. They yeah, if you're named Tenley, you're probably too rich to listen to podcasts. <laughs> um have your butler self-censor when they describe this podcast to you as oh, you do. Um, no, so so the the meet cute between them, because uh, Ryan Dunn is, 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 he is a, he works for his dad's uh, landscaping company. He's, he's, a, he's mowing the lawn of this, of her family's um, Cape estate, summer house. And he's mowing it. And then he sees her getting out of the pool in a red bathing suit. And you're like, oh, you're just, it's a fast time to Richmond High, Phoebe Cates. That's what you're doing. Um, so you're doing that, and he, and he mows over some some flowers, and then accidentally mows into uh, the birdhouse while while kind of like perving on her. And uh, and that's like the, I guess the meet cute, right? That's the first it, time they've interacted. Except but she doesn't, she doesn't interact. remember she doesn't. him because but when she says she doesn't remember him, no. Maybe yeah. she does, but like, so that's that interaction, right? So you're, there's your fast times at Richmond High. The, there's a lot of like, uh, it's clearly with American Pie being still very popular in the zeitgeist, they are trying to do that kind of raunchy sexcapades with all the rest of the characters. Um, failing at it though, really failing at it. They're just hitting like only the like, already for the time, just not landing jokes. And just, I feel like they, they didn't go far enough if you wanted to do yeah. super inappropriate, like teen sex comedy. And they like kind of pulled back enough to where you just land in a terribly uncomfortable middle. And then the third <laughs> film that it is, 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 a, is entirely a ripoff of Bull Durham. 
you are trying to do a Boulderum type of thing, but then not with the central core of that because you have kind of characters of that, but they're all doing different side things. So there's a lot of tone mess in this film, um, but let's go back to that meet cute slash because the central part of the film, the only thing that can make this film work because the whole film is built around it is Tenley and Ryan's kind of relationship. She's kind rich, of he's relationship. poor. Yeah, that's about the best. They, the... So their first interaction, he's mowing the lawn and, and sees her getting out of the pool, purrs on her, smashes into stuff. Hilarious. The next interaction, the first time they talk is they're at the local watering hole uh, that his uh, that Ryan's brother owns, manages or, or whatever. And uh, all the baseball players, all the Cape Cod baseball players are there. All the town girls are there. It's, you know, very like central hub. And Matthew Lillard and Freddie Prince Jr. go over to a table to, to hit on some girls. And one of them is Tenley. And within, like they, intro- he introduces himself. She says like, oh, I don't really watch. She says, like you said, she doesn't remember him. And she says she doesn't watch, doesn't follow baseball, doesn't watch the. She says she doesn't go to games, but she likes sports, which I think is a very important thing to bring up later on, because she's she's a swimmer apparently, so she doesn't watch. She doesn't like going to games because it's too hot, but she likes sports, and I think that that last part was kind of essential because wow, do they forget that line real quick while writing Tenley's dialogue later on? Uh, because my favorite, so I just made it little bring them up now because, wow. Um, she does this scene later on in the movie, like after they've had their first date and after they're kind of seeing each other, but they're not quite sure where everybody's at, where she goes and she's like, I went to your game and the outfits were really cute. And she goes through this like stammer session where it's clear that like as written it was trying to be like her kind of tripping over her words and like trying to be flirty but failing but like Jessica Beale is Jessica Beale and as boring as she is in this I can't imagine Jessica Beale like not having the confidence to hit on a, an average dude like Freddie Prinze Jr you know and like I so she she comes across confident but the dialogue is all mixed up as if she was tripping over her words and like you know not figuring out what she was saying and she's like outfits <laughs> and then she's like oh no they're uniforms aren't they and continues on like that and I'm like what what fresh hell is this um because it, it just didn't work at all like I could see where the writing was trying to take it but none of that performance functioned whatsoever and then my favorite and spoiler alert happens towards the end of the movie when she runs into her sister and she's like I gotta talk to Ryan and she's like he can't really talk right now he's pitching a no hitter and she says and I you not because I wrote all caps notes about it I'm like did she she says what's a no hitter and I'm like I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry you have lived in an estate on Cape Cod for however many years, six years, your whole life, I don't know. And you claim to like sports. And I don't mean this to be like a shaming thing, but I feel like anybody who has even a peripheral knowledge of baseball at all can kind of by context clues, figure out what a no hitter is. Like she's been to games that year. She's seen how the score works. What's a no hitter is a question that is asked in this movie. And I, I lost my mind. It's it's not great. I 
one of the things about the film that I just, it was very baffling from a, from a 90s rom-com standpoint is the, the, the stand, like she is chasing him 100% of the time. 100% of the time. So like their first interaction in the bar, they just talk briefly, very briefly. And then Brittany Murphy comes over and steals like, the is whole basically scene. saying, steals the whole scene, totally. It's a great line, her, by the way, too. When she was said, uh, you seem to be disarmingly uncomfortable right now. Yes. <laughs> great yes. line. She was amazing. Yes. Because she's asking for her, her underwear. underwear. Her underwears. Sorry. Yeah. Good Cape, Cape God accent. Um, her underwear is back and he can't give it back to her yet because he's still currently wearing them. Which is mystifying because at some point in that time frame, he had time to change his entire exterior outfit he, to like regular shirt and jeans that he sure did not have on him when he walked into that locker room. He um, went home, but just was like, I'm I still But he's like just it. like, you know, yeah. man, they make my butt look good feeling airy we're good hey, like, no, no, shame. no judgment no judgment no judgment no at all. shame he's clearly uh kind of feeling some shame about that but then he leaves right embarrassed okay they have had no interaction besides just like briefly like my name is ryan dunn your name is tenley uh oh you i play baseball oh i don't really follow baseball i was a swimmer and then Hey, the bar t the barmaid is saying like I want my underwear back that you're wearing currently, and then you leave, and she chases after him. Yeah, why? What why a catch! Would why would you chase after this guy? Like that could be the like intro, and then next time they meet, that's maybe a funny like he tries to be like, listen, that was a weird start, but she actively chases after him. To be like, wow, you're super neat and interesting. Is what? No, he's a he's weird. He's a weird local yeah. boy. Like, what are you talking about? That's not right. And romantic. then throughout the rest of the film, like the next time they're like having like a, a, a date with like eating ice cream, and she does the like super befuddled and like your uniform, I mean your outfit, your no, uh, that happens food. later in the ice cream scene. I made a note of it because it's the same kind of gender swapped like dynamic in that they're walking down the dock, absolutely spilling their deepest hopes and dreams for life on their first date. Like this is, it's like such a deep conversation. And I say that with air quotes intentionally because it's written to sound deep. Like, oh, my dream is to be an architect, but my dad wants me to go work for my uncle's firm in San Francisco. And I'm like, oh, white girl problems. We got some rich <laughs> white girl problems here that like your deciding factors are between going to an expensive grad school for architecture or, you know, your rich uncle will give you a place at his firm. Oh, woe is Tenley. But like, <laughs> it's like this really like in-depth conversation about what matters most to you. And Tenley speaks entirely in quotes from 90s motivational posters because she's like if you dream if you're dreaming big you have to act big and like if you take if you want to like get things that are important you've got to take risks and like it's just the most bullshit but sorry that's number two um <laughs> in in that scene she's like well I, I had a professor tell me once that to be a good architect you have to be able to see clearly like the beauty of eyes and eyes are so important to beauty and then she looks at him and I'm like don't 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 I see where this is going don't do it because I thought he was going to say it to her and she's like you know you have really beautiful eyes and he's like is that a line and 
the entire script could have been gender reversed and it would have been very tropey, but like you would have felt more like it would have felt more natural because she's then then she's like, I don't know, is it working? And I'm like, girl, you are Jessica Beale. You could show up and be like, nah, I like getting boys. And he'd be like all over it. Like you don't have to use a line. In an in a better film, I would kind of appreciate the the like because I, I I'm totally fine with I like the idea of it not being just like the guy chasing the girl mm-hmm. and the girl playing hard to get and because that trope's been done to death. It's just weird because we're introduced to him kind of pining after her as this unattainable. She is the the rich summer house girl. You are the poor townie. You don't you're out of her like she is out of your league. So don't even think about it. But she is throwing herself at you. And so the entire time, I made a note of it. I was like, I think I see where this is going. We're in the 90s. There's a bet. There's a there's like a, a can't buy me love or a, she's a all 10 that. things I hate about you or a she's all that um, type of, of switcheroo coming around where she's going to- by the way, that. they're making a gender swapped uh, she's all that called he's all that that will debut on Netflix. Oh, well, there you go. See, I, 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 I'm intrigued by that. But so I was expecting that. Spoiler, it never comes. She's yeah. just unabashedly into him. I mean, she's still like a little ashamed because like she doesn't tell when they start dating. Uh, she doesn't tell her family about him, blah, blah, blah. But like, there's never a point where she is into him for any ulterior motives besides just being into him. And it, it's, it just, it baffled me because it didn't make any sense as to why he wouldn't just be like, oh my God, you're into me? Great, cool, this is fantastic. I would um, just, so for just one weird. second, because somebody just reminded me of this and because it's related to the new one, Matthew Lillard is also in She's All That. He plays like the overgrown he's, he's, like man-child boyfriend that Freddie Prinze Jr.'s character like breaks up with him for. And I just remember that that's a thing. And I also remembered that, just remember that Freddie Prince Jr. is in that movie. Oh, the 90s and early it's 2000s. What a yeah. beautiful time. It's just, you just kind of rolled it over. Um, yeah, so that that relationship just, it never felt like there was a week, there just never felt any chemistry between the two of them. And I think one of the biggest central problems is that Ryan Dunn is crazy unlikable. Like throughout the entire film, he is incredibly whiny, right? He is trying to be like, I want to make something of myself. And he has this setup where I'm expecting it to be that like his brother and his dad are constantly like putting him down or his dad maybe is this like alcoholic, abusive, like you're not going to make anything. Like you got to give up on your dreams. Yeah, He's never that. There is one scene where he's drunk and kind of a jerk. He's like, like, you made a big mistake in the ninth inning of that game. Yeah, which we will get to that, by the way. I'm coming for you, Brian Dennehy, and your managerial skills. I've already, I am coming for you. You're a terrible manager. Anyway, coming for you, Brian Dennehy. Watch it. Brace yourself. Well, Um, man, he he can only do so much. He has one reliever in that entire team. (laughs) He's asleep the entire time. He sleeps through the entirety of games. I I just, it's weird because like his brother is kind of like an older brother jerk to him, but like in a like seemingly just big brother type of way. And his dad, for like the most, he asks him like, oh, can you work um, like tomorrow or whatever? And Ryan says, I can't, I got a game. And his dad isn't like, even rolls his eyes. He just sort of is like, oh, like, 
are you pitching? And he's like, no, this other guy uh, is. And it's like, he's like, you know, he basically asked him about like the scouting report on the guy and like, oh, is he better than you? Can he throw faster than you? Blah, blah, blah. There's never this point where I'm like, he is never really that dismissive of his son's ability, quite supportive. And then late, like very, from the midpoint on, after one scene where he's kind of a little bit of a jerk drunk, he is unbelievably supportive, even quits uh, his, the landscaping contract with the rich family over the fact that the the, the jerk father kind of like basically told Ryan to-, to He's not good enough for Tim Lee. Yeah, he's not good enough for his daughter yeah. and he should quit and otherwise he'll like black blacklist him in all the cape. I, it's it's his Ryan Dunn is like constantly talking about how everything is bad. Like every woe is me. Everything is bad. Everyone's against me. I'm just trying to make it. But like it really comes off as like he is just like a whiny little jerk. Yeah. And I don't care about his story well, at he, all. Like I don't care if you make it, man. You're whiny. Like be. They, they try on. to give him like a tragic backstory with his mom dying and I guess his brother you know shared that and I think that I think that more specifically relates to why he got into a fight with his former team more likely they never really spell that out but I feel like maybe like he was just on edge somebody said something bad and he lost it but like he was quick to anger that like we saw yeah. that he like melted down a lot yeah. and but the thing that kills me about him is that he goes through when he when he's talking to Tenley he's he's talking to her about like how he doesn't want to be a failure like his brother and his dad and i sat there and i'm like good sir excuse you your father owns a successful business on his own that employs you your brother seems to have steady work like you may need to have a slightly different definition of what failure looks like like that i was, was the so most, mad i was i was like i i was the same way i'm so glad you said i was like screw you man like you're the brother either manages that bar or owns, or owns the bar. It. I don't yeah. know. Either way, fine. It's a successful bar. He doesn't seem unhappy with his life. And that's a that's a totally fine like like what he he didn't he didn't succeed as a baseball player. Most don't. 99.9% of the people that ever pick up a ball will not succeed at that. But he seems pretty happy with what he's doing. Great. His dad he, he's, a, he, he's he's a landscaper he's doing fine seems like he's got a lot of lucrative contracts amongst the cape you know things are a little bit obviously year round summer like they um, talk so they do leaf work in the fall they check the yeah. pipes in the winter like they've clearly got something going on year round at these amazingly wealthy people's estates and his like, dad doesn't seem like again upset they have a nice house like he doesn't seem upset with his lot in life so it just makes Ryan Dunn, Freddie Prince Jr.'s character, seem really ungrateful. Mm -hmm. Like an ungrateful brat who needs to grow the hell up. And like, you could almost see that attitude, I think, if it was a high school student. Like if he was a high school guy, uh, he, it's very much the James Vanderbeek, I don't want your life. Like it's, you know, he doesn't want to be his dad. And I get that. You don't want to be a landscaper. That's fine. But don't talk about how your dad, who raised you on his own and has kept you in this lifestyle, whatever it is, after your mother's death, and however difficult that must have been for him. Like, I, I, I feel like I know I'm watching this movie as an adult when I'm getting really riled <laughs> up about, like, how ungrateful he is towards everything his dad has done. And it's just like, his dad even, like, yes, drunk at a game 
and I, I, they're really like toe the line of like an alcoholic plot subplot that they never like fully no. get into. And like his dad talks him up to the scout and he's just like, hey, did you know this? Did you know this? Like clearly wants him to succeed. He also like the next day apologizes mm-hmm. for, for, for having one too many. Uh, here's the thing. Fred Ward plays his father, by the way. And Fred Ward, such a tremendous character mm-hmm. actor. Always great. Like Tremors is still Tremors. one of my favorite B-movies of all time. Yeah. And I think it does. Yeah. I mean, like, yes, I'm older now. So like what at the time when this movie came out, would I really be more on Freddie Prince Jr.'s side? But I'm like the entire time, I'm like, well, Fred Ward is actually doing a pretty good performance here. I like Fred Ward. I And I'm really buying that characters like he makes sense and when he drunkenly tells uh ryan that like the girl you're going out with she is totally like i don't she is just trying to slum it to get back at her dad by dating like some like local townie and i'm like yeah she probably is it's probably a, a, a prank it's probably some sort of bet get out of there like drunk Fred Ward is totally dead on. Um, it doesn't, again, it doesn't turn out to be that way, but like, I, I, it, he's not bad enough. Nobody is bad enough in this world. Like his friends are crazy supportive. And thankfully at the end of the film, his friends do kind of like slap some sense in him and say like, listen, man, you're upset about like potentially having to go to the bullpen in the Cape Cod League and then maybe just be like a nothing pitcher but like, they're like, we don't even have the life that you have on the Cape. And we're out here just cheering you on because we didn't even have that. Like, and we'll cheer you on wherever you go. So you should have some perspective. And I was like, okay, at least the film recognizes that, but he's still the central character. And I still feel like we're supposed to relate to Tenley's problems of what, what amazing path in my life do I want versus Freddie Prince Jr.'s problems of, I don't want to have steady income and uh, somewhat respectable, but maybe not upper upper middle class level of respect, but still pretty respectable like life. Like, I don't want to date Dee Dee Mulligan for the rest of my life. How very screw both of you people. You. I don't care about either of you. Yeah, Dee Dee deserves better. Um, she, she does. <laughs> I mean, and does she get it with Matthew Lillard? I don't know. They're still together at the end. I think that there, there's like a, a hint. I mean, obviously he's not going to stay around the Cape Cod League. And eventually Dee Dee Mulligan is going to marry the short guy with the goatee, I think is exactly what's going to happen in this world. Because here's the thing. What oh, go ahead. Go threw ahead. me off is that like his two towny bros, Augie and whoever the other guy are. First of all, Gabriel Mann's like East Coast accent is so inconsistent throughout this. That he, like, all of these accents really are wildly it. inconsistent. Sometimes, but I really <laughs> noticed it with Augie. But Augie and Dee Dee are brother and sister, Did which I that. only figured out because they both have the last name Mulligan in the IMDb listings. And I'm like, that dude spends an awful lot of time watching his sister get banged by other dudes. It's like pretty much an every night occurrence during the summer, it seems like. Yeah, like they hang out and like people have sex in front of each other, apparently. And I'm like, that's that's your sister. Like, that's weird. I'm sorry. It's some some weird. Again, none none of us are from the Cape. We don't know what's going on up there. I'm so sorry to anybody. It's a weird life from the cape that's listening to here's this. the thing florida gets enough jokes yeah turn out it's fair play get, get, we got you we got you <laughs> northeast 
Take that. <laughs> I think um, we'll take a quick break, but then we'll get back and talk about some of the worst crimes committed by this movie. Cause I have a good rant that I really need to go on. Um, but for right now, let's take a quick pause for sponsored content. Oh, if you thought we had gotten through the worst of it in the first half of this podcast, you are not prepared for what awaits you in the latter half. Um, I think Darby and I both have particular concepts we kind of lean, want to lean heavily into uh, here. So I'm going to let Darby go first because it's an interesting thing that he pointed out that I didn't okay, really pay so, attention to. So this is the thing with this film that uh, we mentioned it with the sort of the gender swap, like the, Jessica Biel is pursuing Freddie Prince Jr., and like being awkward and like whatever coming on to him a lot like the Freddie Prince Jr. character normally would in a film of this type. What I noticed throughout this film, the guys are all, you know, college age bro-y guys and they're constantly talking about chicks and sex and all that. But every bit of the kind of uh, push, every, every like come on, every like actual like uh, pursuing and like kind of aggressive pursuing of sex comes from the women in this film. So Brittany Murphy, Dee Dee Mulligan, has this thing that we see like a move of hers, uh, besides stealing men's underwear, is, is this thing where she stands, straddles the guy and puts a beer bottle between her legs and then kind of thrusts and spills the beer into the, the guy's face. And she's, you know, it's a very clear image of what's going on here, but it's a very like opposite of what like the beer ads of the nineties were sort of doing, right? This, this, she's, she's beer jizzing on people's faces. Let's yeah. be honest. That's what, that's what's happening. This is, she is just, just <laughs> going all over and giving both Freddie Prinze Jr. and Matthew Lillard uh, Ugh, a beer you, bath in the face and you and, can open your mouth or you cannot or, or not whatever it's you know? inevitable what's gonna happen and so <laughs> i don't know this is gonna all just be a bleep and you're just gonna Brad, come in with like a word like here slap the explicit on it now and just I, be done <laughs> i think i'll i think i'll mark this one explicit I'll, I'll bleep out some of the uh swear words and then i might i might even throw a listener's discretion as advised uh, <laughs> there you go perfect I, I just uh, but the people need to know. Don't people think we need can to know. get around it with beer jizzing. Like, <laughs> I think we've reached our limit of where... Tra trademark pending. Anyway, oh so Dee Dee Mulligan's uh, like kind of beer phallus jizz move, right, is like a very overt version oh. of this. But then you also have, you have Jessica Biel pursuing her, like the boy that she's interested in like aggressively. You then also have the character, the Stifler's mom or or Bull Durham, like the, the Sigourney Weaver character, not Sigourney Weaver, Susan Sarandon, Sarandon character. Look alike. Um, of of Beverly Beverly D'Angelo revealed Oh, later. Beverly D'Angelo, you deserve so much better than uh, Lusty Aggressively and probably Lusty like criminally mother. hitting yeah. on um, poor Wilder Valderrama. Uh, well, he's at least his first 20. film role. He is of age. However, he his is his first film role. Oh my god. Yeah, this was this. Um, but Wilder Valderrama, first film role, he is the house mother that he is with in the Cape Cod League is legendarily sexually aggressive with all of the young baseball players. Again, it's that Susan Sarandon character from Bull Durham. But there is this interesting thing where 
all of the women in this film are seen as the pursuers, as the people initiating. Dee Dee Mulligan convinces uh, Ryan Dunn to stay out and like have sex with her. Convinces she, Billy to miss his bus. Convinces Billy to miss his bus. Beverly D'Angelo eventually seduces the ball players into her bedroom. Uh, so this, and, 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 the character uh, of, of um, the left fielder's uh, love interest, the larger woman who is, mm. will reveal as like actually we'll, a fairly normal sized human being. But we'll get basically she is also like, uh, like shown as like kind of the person like mounting the other guy. So there is this interesting sense of like, there, there's a there's a film there, and I don't know if this film actually wanted to say this or had this idea, but the idea of the I, that these ball players are coming to the Cape, and it's not them being the like one night stand summer fling guys, and then they're like leaving the girls pining after them. It's the opposite. It's the girls are like the, the all of the women in this film are the Wootersons of this film, where it's basically the the best thing about Cape Cod League is that the that I get older and the ball players stay the same age. <laughs> That's this film. That is the the like thesis is that they, like Dee Dee Mulligan is like just chalking those uh, those marks in the bedpost. She is like doesn't matter. Ryan Dunn is like done with her now trying to date Tenley. Doesn't matter. She's got like all the she rest of the guys. She wants to embarrass him a little bit, but it's very clear. I don't think it comes from a place of jealousy. More as it's just a lot of fun to get under Ryan's skin because he's such a tight. Exactly. And but she never there's never a love triangle there or and there's never even a sense of tension of her being like, I'm jealous of you. She's literally just does it to like screw with them, which yeah. good for her. But like not in a like I'm jealous or upset way, but entirely in a probably she wants her underwear literally back way. Yeah. Um, well, like it's like the scene where Billy's in the kitchen drinking water out of the vase and like the, the newspapers block in his crotch and Ryan just sort of chuckles and looks over at him and is like, I see you met Dee Dee Mulligan because apparently that's just a Dee Dee move is to leave you with nothing but a thong. Um, yeah, it's, so he's not even like torn up about it. Like it, it's like, yeah, okay, she's off off to one of my teammates now. I guess that's the Dee Dee way. Um, but there, it's funny because it's never in, I don't, it never felt slut shaming. Like it was just no. like a, a lol, that's Dee Dee. Like it, it, it was never just like, you know, she gets passed around to the team. Like it, it's just, it was her agency. And I think that that's very interesting. Exactly. And that's the thing that's super re like interesting about the film is that like the character, the, the women that pursue the guys in this type of film normally would be like, oh, you don't want to go for her because she's like a loose woman. But it's not that. It's basically, it feels like all of the female characters would be like, written as male characters right yeah so it's sort of like cool she got another one like the male characters would be like you know high five you know oh, which you, they you do when wilmer bangs the house mom they spend they like applaud him at the table and share war stories about cute it's numbers. a weirdly like sex positive film and i think probably like unintentional by accident yeah, yeah. <laughs> entirely by accident but like i feel like Maybe there was somebody in the writer's room that like snuck this in and just didn't notice. They were like, I'm just going to make all the women be like strong individual agents that have sexual desires that are going to pursue this and be like totally not hung up or fall into any other tropes of the 90s. And I was like, this is kind of interesting here. 
the Beverly D'Angelo character to a level where it's very uncomfortable because you just keep cutting to Wilder Valderrama and it's like, he's terrified. He has to live here and he's terrified. And it's like, well, this seems very inappropriate. The plot of that, I think, is meant to be that he's a virgin and he's yes. just unsettled by the idea of losing his virginity. But it's not played off that way. It's not like, oh, it's not the Stifler's mom situation where he wants it but he's like unsure of how to go about it. It's very much played like he hides in his room with the lights off and like sneaks around and doesn't want her to notice him. And then suddenly at the end of the turnaround is like, no, I'm ready. But like the entire way it's played makes it seem like he's just yielded to a predator. Like it's- Exactly, yeah. Like he's still yeah. a deer in headlights when he goes into the room. And even in his conversations with the other guys, you don't really get from him that he wants to. He's just uneasy Pressure. about being with somebody with experience and an older woman and, and that sort of thing. Like it's, it doesn't play that way and it makes it really uncomfortable. That whole storyline just, it could be gone because oh, yeah. I, that doesn't work. And, or if you like, I think if you do the thing that you're saying is make it more of the American Pie Stifler's mom where it's like, the guy is like trying to be like very like, yeah, I'm super experienced and I love chicks, but then being like actually inexperienced. Yes. And she like guides, that can be its own storyline, but like the way it's played is definitely like this, this person is in a very bad situation and the Cape Cod League needs to reevaluate the house mom situation because yeah. that's not a pr appropriate thing to send people into. It's a very toxic area. So not that is not a very positive view on that. But I do think the fact that there is a lot of uh, sexually liberated women in this film that are not ever like listed or seen as like shamed in that way is yeah. weird. It's weirdly like progressive for a film of this like caliber which is yeah. not great but like you said it feels accidental like it feels it's, like it's maybe, entirely accidental maybe they wrote those characters as men originally and had different lines for the women and then gave all the male lines and actions to women like that's how it feels it was a control f failure where yeah. they accidentally were like oh no i missed i ah an accidental be Drake like, mulligan an not accidental control f delight um, I want to get into a subplot that left me writing a million all caps notes and texting both of you in an absolute fury. Um, and I don't know if this is just sensitive to me because I am a fat woman, but I feel like anybody with ears paying attention to this would find this entire subplot revolting. Um, Miles, the left fielder that we mentioned before, played by Mark Blucas, who I remember mostly from Buffy, as Buffy's most boring boyfriend, Riley, um, is he likes larger women. And I say larger tentatively here because in spite of his poem about bellies like jelly that he writes to Marjorie, I effing kid you not, there is a full poem about his love for fat women that is terrible um, that he reads to her before she comes into the room with creaking floorboard sound effects only to then subsequently literally break the bed. And I, I thought throughout this whole thing that the way they would play, and like we had this discussion separately, that the way they were talking about Miles's love for fat women 
is that I thought they were going to go like full comical with it. Like he loved 600 pound women. Like the way they kind of play, have you seen Road Trip, which is another classic movie of this era? There's the scene where like DJ Qualls is very tiny, skinny character hooks up with like a beautiful bigger black woman and then like steals her underwear and he's like I blinked her and like is showing off her underwear and they're kind of like making the joke because the underwear is so much bigger than him and like they could have played it kind of in that sense like where it was just like like he likes really big women but like there's a scene after they've kind of made fun of him for sleeping with a fat girl towards the beginning of the movie and it's just rife with fat phobia like billy just leans into the jokes about fat girls like the he's like a, your mama's so fat away from like the the perfect bingo card of fat phobia that like he he's like really ribbing miles about it and miles is like oh shucks you know guys i was pretty drunk like he, he doesn't want to take ownership of his his desire and then there's a scene later in the bar where he's talking to a woman and i just stared at the screen because it's been established that Miles likes fat girls. And he is talking to a woman who is maybe a size 10. Like she has a t-shirt on and her arms are maybe not stick thin. And she's like perfectly like flat stomach sitting there in her jeans. And I'm like, wait, is that this movie's definition of a fat girl? Cause I'm gonna have to throw hands. Like I'm so mad about this. And then like you get progressively later on and it's the scene where he's at Marjorie's place and she's behind the curtain and she's silhouetted and you can see what they're implying and I'm like okay so here's where we're gonna get the joke like that it's it's you know the real joke of this is that he just likes really fat women he's reading his poem and she comes out and that woman could be a model for adore me which is a line that like does beautiful lingerie and features like all size women and she could like stand up in that ma- like a modeling campaign right now she is beautiful like she is maybe a size 16 like she's not skinny but by no means like she's an average american woman size like and i'm it just really like, it made the joke fall flat because yeah. i'm like cuz ever so we I, I was watching it and we were like the 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 fat girl jokes the like the, they're all set up like the the yo mama jokes but they're no they're none of them are jokes and no. i and we we also talked about this where it's like, is this a, is this like a, oh, that aged poorly? They just weren't jokes. They were like, you're, the girl you were with was so fat that she was fat. Yeah, it was like, these aren't even like a humorous, like, like gravitational pull or some, some sort of yeah, like Cause there's something. a scene where Marjorie shows up at a game and she's wearing like a cute little overall dress. She's got a pennant. She is there to cheer him on. It's a adorable and it's the movie I would rather be watching and Billy turns around and like says to one of the other guys he's like that's not healthy like hey so-and-so that's not healthy is it and I'm like I'm sorry are you a god doctor Billy you can only lay down a bunt for a hit and you're gonna tell her what's healthy about life like you just need to shut your entire face and like, there's a scene too where he, I was this whole through, cause it's too much. Like they it's a lot. into they the fat a jokes. Lot. There's almost as many fat jokes as there are discussions about baseball in this movie. Like it's a lot. And there's a scene where they're at the bar and he's like, it's right before Mar- Mark, sorry, Miles gives his big, he's like, oh, applause to you, Miles. I have thoughts on that <laughs> speech as well. How brave Miles likes fat girls. Um, 
but like he, just before that like the thing that like initiates the big speech is like billy just run, like just run in his mouth like it's so much that i think billy secretly likes fat women and he's just really uncomfortable about it because he won't shut up about it but even Dee Dee is sitting there on his lap just like miming like shut your mouth like yeah, she's obviously uncomfortable that. like she's just like dude dude like enough and then Miles gets up on a chair and announces to the entire bar, I'm Miles so-and-so and I like fat women. But he does it in such a way where we should just be like, congrats to you, Miles. It's so, like such a brave admission because then he goes on and I, massive assive is an actual <laughs> phrase that gets used in that speech where he's just like, I like massive ass of women. And I'm just like, I'm sure every woman, every fat woman in this bar looking at you right now cannot wait to get a piece after you've said massive ass of about them. Truly, it's not like you're fetishizing it's, them or anything. Like It's very strange. So we, we get the first, so we're not sure what um, Miles Dalripple uh, the left fielder here what uh what matt lucas what his like thing is right like there's going to be some sort of storyline and at first it's the jokes about like oh he went home with this like really fat chick then he talks about like noticing asses in the infield and like all the guys and there's this like your your classic 1990s it's again 2001 but again we're just it's just still the yeah. 90s the two, 90s lasted into about 2006 um <laughs> like homophobic like uh dude you noticed dude butts whoa uh like kind of like joke like that's the joke there but he like he's like ah, i'm a center fielder i notice uh i notice butts or whatever um so like, you're like, oh, is he like gonna be like secretly gay? Is that gonna be like the joke? Nope, it's just that he likes butts. He's, he's it's, it never comes butts. up again either. It's just a conversation about how he notices the giant it's... can on Wilmer Valderrama's character. Yes. Giant yes. can, yeah. Yes. And then- uh, Yeah, so that's his his storyline is, there's there are, I will say this film, unlike Trouble of the Curve, if you criticize him for not having an arc, there is a <laughs> lot of arcs in this. They're not great, but there's like an arc of people coming. Wilder Valderrama gives in to sexual harassment and is they're, okay with it, I guess. They're the uh, McDonald's golden arches of arcs here. Like, let's yeah, they're like, I guess that's credit, an arc. But they have some trajectory. There's some, yeah, you started in one place and ended in another place, I guess. Um, yeah, that that whole, it, so here's the thing with that. It's, it's just super uncomfortable because those are the type of lines that you give to the bad guy yep. to say because that's like that's 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 like clearly they're wrong because otherwise if it is like some absurdly like disproportionate thing and again like miles dalripple this outfielder is a pretty big he's not a he's a very ripped guy uh but like he's like a tall guy so it's not the funny joke of like the DJ Qualls who like weighs yeah. like 80 pounds and is like five foot eight and you have this gigantic, like more aggressive woman. And like, that's the that's the humorous juxtaposition there. Instead, you have this guy who's like a fairly broad shouldered dude and a woman who is bigger than Jessica Biel, sure, but like not huge. Like they're a very like attractive decent couple. match, yeah. Yeah, they're like a very like, Height wise, they're attract like they're they like they match up. It's it, it doesn't work from a sense of comedy because 
I, there was no subversion of expectations. It was yeah. just like, wait, that person was the That's person that had the, let's about? all of this. Yeah. It's so weird. I was expecting like a, almost like a fat suit level crazy or just like, or hiring somebody that's like quite, quite a bit larger. Yeah. It's very weird. And I just don't think it was very, I, this is not, this is not PC gone mad. It's literally just like, I don't get the joke because like you must have to have a much larger actress to make that make sense. And even then you need the character saying this to be people that you have two bullies, right? You have the two bad guys of the movie are, um, Eric Van Lemer, the superstar pitcher who's got a $2 million signing bonus from the Dodgers. Was Dodgers, it the Dodgers? Yeah. And he's like, I was like, and he's I talking better. He's like, that was an insult. I'm going to get it up to 2.5 with this awesome, like Cape Cod league. And then he has his like buddy, his like lackey or whatever. So like those guys saying that makes sense. Cause they've been the jerks. They're the like, Again, they're the better Bo, uh, Bo, um, Bo Gentry's Bo Gentry than the other one because he's got this like blonde, shock blonde hair. I had him listed as Rufio until his name came up because <laughs> it's very Rufio esque yeah. hair. Like those are the guys that should have that role, and then the the guy can put them down at the end because like they're clearly the bad guys. But but they're not there by Billy, the end. Because there's a whole other plot that we've already forgotten about because so much is happening in this movie where they burn the concession slash souvenir stand to the ground for reasons. Like they're in there and it's an accidental arson, basically. Like he's trying to like light the way and he drops matches and nobody thinks, hey, those lit matches might light something on fire. And they sure do light the whole thing on fire. Um, But the entire point of that at the end of the day was so that Tenley's dad could find out that she and Ryan were dating because there was a picture of the two of them with the fire truck. So he could be like, oh, the embarrassment of our family is complete. Um, she was a she was a uh, a witness to an accidental fire. Yeah. And that's the most humiliation to the family. <laughs> yeah, a witness to a fire in which her boyfriend ran in to save people's save lives. Yes. And neither of them reacted with any emotion whatsoever to watch this building that almost killed two of his teammates burn down. They just stood, they just stood there. Like, I, I can't even pass it off as shock. They were just like, oh, are you okay? Okay, wow, that looks bad. Like, it's nothing. It, it's a very wooden, wooden, wooden the entire time. Um, so bad. Uh, so, so just to hit some other characters before before we get out. Uh, so, like that, this the thing. The, there's the small rivalry, and it'll kind of bled into the baseball thing, where um, Ryan Dunn's a pitcher, Eric Van Lemer, the the bad guy, the guy who's got everything, um, is also a pitcher, and they're both really good. And uh, but but Lemer's Van Lemer's very good. He's like the best. And um, but then this fire causes them. They have a, almost a fight early on. Uh, and then, then this fire is like the last straw, and then Brian Denny he kicks kicks uh, Van Lemer and his friend off the team. So then Ryan Dunn gets to pitch the big final game, and then showcase everything, which leads into the near no hitter. And then uh, he pulls himself. He pulls. He channels his inner Kevin Cash and <laughs> removes himself, knowing that he is tiring from the game. 
And that closer is unbelievably rested because both he's also been sleeping for most of the game. Literally, uh, yes. but not warmed up by no but means. But not warmed up, he just goes right in um, and uh, completes the no-no and he rushes after Tenley. So let's talk a little bit about the baseball in this game because it's actually pretty good. Um, it's obviously like they worked with the Cape Cod League. I made one note, are Cape Cod League jerseys sponsored? Because they had a good old ocean spray crests on the arm sleeve of their jerseys. And I thought that was either really weird promo for the movie to incorporate or like they're testing out some sort of advertising campaigns in the Cape Cod League that haven't made their way to the majors yet because you would never see advertising like that, like with the exception of Nike on a major league jersey yet. Um, but it was very obvious, like there's big ocean spray patches on the side of their jerseys. And I made a note of that. Um, but they do a lot of things really well with the baseball, like aside from, I think I can't imagine any player being allowed to play with like a flame covered glove in an actual game as Van Lemer uses for in his practices. Um, what the one thing I really liked was Billy's cold streak. Um, Mm -hmm. there's the scene where he a he blames the wood bats because he's just like god invented aluminum for a reason and i'm like oh sweet baby angel and and then he literally breaks the bat over his knee when he's on like his sixth game like no like no Mm -hmm. hit streak and that just was really real like the the aggression and the annoyance and that intense frustration was so well played and so real and then like the my favorite part was he gets his first hit and it's a bunt and his first like on base hit of the entire season is a bunt and he gets to first base and he demands the ball <laughs> he's just like you're giving me the ball i'm keeping that ball and i'm like oh that's pure that's real baseball that's really cute um but like the yeah the, my one thing and this i'm sure you'll pick up from this to to complain about brian denny is that whoever wrote this seems to believe that starters have to pitch a complete game every time they go out because like they're talking about how in I think Ryan Dunn's first start he's like in the ninth and he's like oh Jekyll and Hyde he's getting real shaky and I'm like well no it's the ninth (laughs) inning perhaps we should try someone new on the mound um and this seems to be the thing is that these these pitchers have to go complete games every time they're out like what the heck we don't see a lot of relief no after having pitched a full college baseball season now they get to cape cod (laughs) yeah let's just do it up man pitch nine innings every time go and then like very old school very tony la russa this (laughs) is he is you're pitching your arm off Yeah, and then, so yeah, like the, so he Ryan's pitching a no no, which several people mention out loud. Good God, what were they thinking? Including Ryan Tennehy. What are you doing? Ryan Tennehy wakes up their closer because his you're not going to use the closer, man. That's the, he can sleep. It's the seventh inning. The seventh inning, he wakes up his closer and says, "You're going to want to be awake for this." And I'm like, "Oh no, no!" And he's like, "He's pitching a no no," and I'm like, "Oh." Oh, my brother, what are you doing? He, he's the worst. You fire fire him immediately. He does and, not get. So I was expecting, I was like, okay, that's that's a te- terrible, terrible managing decisions throughout this entire film. Um, but I was like, okay, the film just needs for the audience to know that Ryan's pitching a no-hitter. So they're giving him the idiot ball to be like, I'm going to say that. But then a few scenes later, they give that to Jessica Beale. 
Yeah. So like, you don't need it. Why would the the manager shouldn't say it? The little girl selling it, saying it to Tenley and giving Tenley the the ignorance of that. Fine, whatever. I guess you have to give. Hinting at it early on gives it the gravitas later. Like if you just come in in the ninth and you're like, he's pitching a no hitter. You're like, okay, really? You're just mentioning this now? Cause that's kind of like, you could pan to the board a couple of times you could, throughout yeah. to just give you that. Like they do that with good old Steve Nebraska. You can see where that's <laughs> going. You give the flashes. And I think that that would have been enough to, to like, or have somebody no. in the audience be like, Hey, look what's going on. Like, Hey, don't talk about it. Like you could just, give that element without brian dennehy being the first person to mention you it. could have an audience member yeah uh say it and then have the little sister of tenley who we did mention who is her her arc uh is basically trying to figure out a uh, mascot she's very into cape cod league baseball obsessed um, she has she's, baseball she's cards a, she wants autographs she's like nuts i she's love like her. A, like like two steps too precocious but i i do think that character works so i was yeah. like i would like tone the precocious down about two notches and I would have been perfect but I do think that character was kind of fun and I love the through line that actually is some of the funnier jokes is like all the different costumes that she does frankly the clam should have won I thought that was really the clam was delightful yeah she so she tries a bunch of different like nautical themed costumes to be the 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 oh my god the mascot of the Chathamese the Chathamese mascot and so she's a, a lobster and she's a clam and she's a, the end she ends up, he, Ryan tells her to like channel the spirit of Cape Cod. And apparently what that tells her to channel is a drunk layabout fisherwoman with one leg um, <laughs> who likes to drink and beat people up. And her name is Barnacle Barb and everyone loves her. I, she, there's a scene where they show her when, when Ryan says that and she looks down at his beard. And then like there's like, they take, they show that shot. And I was totally expect because there's a lot of Sam Adams in this film. That is the beer that is shown. I was totally expecting her to show up as either a beer or, or Sam, Sam Adams. Adams. But so she, <laughs> fine. I'll take this, the drunken part I get. Like everybody yeah. likes to drink. So, okay, that's fine. But uh, that could have been your moment where you introduce somebody saying the no hitter is somebody in the audience says it and she like kicks them with her peg leg yeah. or something like that. Yeah, Cause absolutely. she knows baseball. She knows baseball. She's crazy um, for baseball. I love her. That's 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 fine. Um, so yeah, so we get to another, at least at this point, Brian Dennehy is leaving in Ryan Dunn to pitch the no-hitter in the last game because I guess fine. This is the one time you should leave your pitcher out there and not when one to hang an eight-run inning on him uh before or a five-run, like blow the ninth with a with a rested grand slam, closer. baby. By just like letting them like hit, like walk a batter, hit a batter. Yeah. It's like wild pitch. Like, come on, just you're leaving him out there to dry. Um, you, he leaves him out there. He gets that first out, two outs to go. Tenley shows up because she's flying to, to, to San Francisco that night. She shows up, sees him get one out. She then leaves, two outs to go from a no hitter. It's a chartered plane. Just take the plane tomorrow. What are you doing? Just watch this game. What is wrong with you? Why is this? Whatever. Anyway, there's the moment. And then Ryan looks over and sees her gone. And then he like, he like starts to like get a smile, right? He like starts to think. And at this point, we are shouting at the TV screen in anger. Because we know what's about to happen. Two outs from a no hitter. And he calls Billy to the mound. 
And, and actually the funniest thing that, that uh, Matthew Lillard does in the whole film, which is basically where Ryan's like, I love her. And he's like, I, me too. What, what's happening? We're two outs away. Let's, what, what, it, cool. Yeah, can we just great like stuff. throw these outs and like, then you can deal with whatever you're dealing <laughs> with? Yeah, great. I love this. Let's save that. Put a pin in it. Let's get two outs. Let's go. Great, funny stuff. Great. Love this great. journey for you, but like, let's finish yeah. what we're doing here. I would have liked more of that throughout the whole film. I think that would have been a better, like, I'd like I the... did like when Billy flips him off for the calls. There was like that, that's one note I made where Ryan's shaking him off and Billy's like, how about this? And like gives him the finger right down the middle. And I'm like, that's Solid. good. I Solid. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so Ryan decides to chase after the girl. He, he loves Tenley. And so he pulls himself out of the game. The closer comes in with no rest, just literally sleeping. Oh, plenty and of rest, just not warmed. Yeah. His arms are about to explode, but Brian Jenny, he doesn't care. Uh, and so then Ryan runs after Tenley or drives after her with his drunk friends in the audience who have tied like several on. And they yeah. drive him there because eh, whatever. It's the They're so drunk um, that he got a strikeout swinging and put up the K backwards. Just I'd like to point. Oh, out. I didn't even know. I didn't even notice. I yeah. got that wrong. Yeah. Um, and then he he meets her at the airport and then is like, I, "I love you." Blah blah blah. And they and then finds out that she reveals that they did complete the game, the no hitter. Yay. Um, he does have a line where it's like a, a no hitter in the Cape Cod league doesn't really matter. And it's like, okay, that's true. It's, it is like a, won't even it make is the pretty, news tomorrow. Yeah. I do like that. And then he gets signed by the Philadelphia Phillies and I guess they stay together. She suddenly decides to choose option three between grad school and lucrative San Francisco job, which is following him to play for the muck hens or yeah. whatever. <laughs> The muck dogs, um, I think it is. Yeah. Muck dogs, muck dogs. Yeah. yeah. And they get a hat and uh, his dad helps negotiate an extra 25 G's. That's pretty good. Again, Bad Fred dad. Ward, constantly correct. Not a failure. Um, Thank you, dad. And there, yeah, there's, that's the end of the film. Um, but I, I hated them leaving that. That was, that was terrible. It's not the, the end because there's the credit scene. It's true. And the credit scene, I think, saves it. And I it does actually, end on a high note. It does end. On I high actually note. really love the credit scene, and it's probably my favorite part of the whole movie because, like, he's it's his call up. It's his first like pitch in the majors. He's been called up by the Phillies. He's kind of gone through the system, and the first batter used in the bullpen. Used in the yeah, bullpen. In the like bullpen. That. That's also that's also yeah. So he comes in mid game, and he's facing Ken Griffey Jr. Lefty and, like, versus lefty. And the the challenge, you know, he's he's there as loogie, absolutely. And he gets up there and it's Ken Griffey Jr. You know, in any other movie, he would, you know, strike him out, win the game. But Airbud won it... World Series MVP. Airbud won, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, he gets in there and Ken Griffey Jr. goes yard because of course he does. And it's just, a, that's, and everyone back home is watching and like the final clip of the movie is just him kind of like, it's, it reminds me so much of that Justin Verlander moment where he gives up like the fourth home run of the first game of the World Series where he just looks over and he's like, wow. Like he just kind of smiles and he's like, can't be mad yeah. that Ken Griffey yeah. Jr. just took me yard because how cool is that? Um, I think his, his friends back at the bar, the, the, the whoever was announcing the game, we, we also have to mention Kurt Gowdy was like doing play-by-play throughout the whole movie. Uh, but yeah. the, I think he's also calling the, this Phillies-Reds game too. 
uh, probably because they just you know had him and they could just get his voice right there. Might not. Uh, yeah. He goes, oh, that's you know his first you know home run that he'll give up, and I think his buddies are like first of many. Like, and I just yeah. loved that like happy go lucky. Yeah, it was honestly my favorite part too. Can we that also- was the tone that I wish the whole film had. Yes. That was the the like baseball is fun. We're playing a kid's game, and all of the real drama is like pretty light compared to this. What would have been so much better is if it really was following the through fare of these different guys throughout the Cape Cod League and it ended the way that thing you do does where it kind of like gives you the future of every single one of those guys like after they've left Cape Cod League. So you could have that moment with Ryan. You could like go over to like like Van Lemer and be like, he never did get more than that $2 million bonus. Blew out his arm in double A. Now he's playing uh, in the Pacific Coast League. Yeah. Um, and like, you just like, you know, everyone kind of gets their comeuppance and like this guy owns a car wash now. And like, this guy is like, you know, the next big star for the Yankees. Like, I think that that would have been a really fun way to do that if they'd done it right. And I think doing it right, because you either lean into it being a rom-com or you lean into it being a coming of age story about these guys. And the romance angle could have been there. Like it, it, it's very much like that thing you do actually where there's the romance subplot about like the drummer and he wants his best friend's girl or like the lead singer's girl and they end up together and they're married. And that's literally a caption at the end when you go through and find out how everybody's relationships and like lives have gone. And I think that's all you need. Like. It, it, it didn't do anything that it set out to do well because it mm-hmm. tried to do too many different things, which I think is something that we're seeing as a bit of a theme because that <laughs> was the theme of Trouble with the Curve was that it tried to do too many different things and failed at all of them. The Scout tried to be three different movies in one and failed at all of them. And that's where I think we're seeing kind of a trend in what makes a baseball movie bad is that it, it does too much and you don't get any payout of any of it. This film could have worked better if all of the characters were a little bit more likable yeah. and the it was a little funnier and the two leads were more charismatic. Yeah. I think those were the, those were a lot of the, the flaws of the film, um, but I, I agree. And I, I do think the baseball worked really well in this film. I think there were some fun moments. Uh, There's some good plays. There was actually some really well shot baseball actually mm-hmm. at, a, at a certain point they were cutting away a lot from Freddie Prince Jr. throwing. And I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, are we getting a Brendan Fraser part two? But then they show him throw a little bit. And it's like, okay, he, he's okay. And I they was, even have I was, a line. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I was just very concerned about Van Lieber's pitch delivery because he's so hunched. And that's how you know you watch too much baseball because I was watching that guy throw and I'm like, that's not sustainable. That's not good delivery. No. <laughs> He needs, oh, he need, he needs that cleaned up. He definitely needs that cleaned up. Yeah. Um, but then I do like one of my favorite characters. You have all the scouts. And then at one point, Hank late Aaron. in the film, Hank Aaron, I was like, is that Hank Aaron? Yeah. And it is. It's Hank Aaron. And uh, unfortunately for our rules for the, the, the next category where we get to select a player, it's that player at that point in time on. Otherwise, it'd be like, oh, prime Hank Aaron. Yeah. Sweet. Ray's just got a left fielder, the home run king. Uh, but no, it's like 60-year-old Hank yes. Aaron. Also, rest in peace to the <laughs> yeah. home run legend. Um, but yeah, I was like, Hank Aaron just showing up. So there's a lot of baseball like legends that just like popped into the film. It's like Kirk Gowdy, Hank Aaron. But then you have a fantastic sort of, not cameo because he's in it too much, but John C. McGinley yeah. playing the scout for the Phillies, who I don't know how much of 
like his character was written because he's only there to just like kind of be a scout right take notes and then leave and then have like one line at the end but john c mcginley god bless him goes for it because he's got this like foghorn leghorn southern drawl this mustache suspenders they wasted pants and suspenders and like 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 thick oil pomade grease back hair and it's just just this southern leg oh boy this this guy's got a got a great arm i oh i tell you and and hey so the the scouting line on ryan dunn is great fastball bad mechanics um and then they show a lot of like the 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 gun and it's like 92 and it's like oof, that's all right that's it's 2001 this is before the fastball revolution really took over but then they do talk about how he's like hitting 95 or 96 depending upon if hank aaron's gun or john c mcginley's gun is correct uh in the ninth so like that is true like that is a good like added baseball thing is like sustaining velocity late in the game versus like your first throw of the game is going to be a lot faster than your last but he's still he's like increasing his speed as he goes so I'm okay with that, but I do, I really enjoyed every scene with John C. McGinley because he's just like, he is taking this character. It's like, listen, I got a backstory for you. I got a costume. Don't worry about it. Just let me work. Let me cook. I got this. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that was absolutely just him. He's just like, I'm here. You got me for a weekend. I've got It looks like he walked off the set of Eight Men Out or like (laughs) a League of Their Own and was just like, I'm in, I'm here. It's like, oh, this is a a modern movie. Oh, well, that's too bad. Doesn't matter. I'm playing it the same. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, he was a delight as a background. Um, yeah, there. I mean, there was a couple of things that worked well. So I definitely can't call this the worst one we've watched by any means. Um, but no, it's, it's like... Brett had a point, though, too. This film is supposed to be... There's a lot of sexcapades. Yeah. And there's it is a romantic comedy. And there's some attractive people in it. But, but Brett, you had a pretty interesting point about like this film. It's a film that tries, it's, it's very sex crazed, right? And even sex positive in certain ways, but it's just not sexy, like any of it. And Matthew Lillard's character is, it's, it's, I think his sense of humor, which is just, he never really says anything funny at all throughout the movie. Maybe, yeah, maybe the line at the end, like, oh, I love her too. Uh, but it was just not sex, like, yeah, there was the really weird dynamic with Wilmer Valderrama's character and his host mom, and I don't know. It, made, it kind of ruined everything else that they tried to do in that movie sexually and just made it very unsettling. It's it's kind of like that scene between Justin Timberlake and Amy Adams in Trouble with the Curve where it's trying to be sexy and you have these two very attractive leads together and yet there's absolutely nothing about that that is sexy or has chemistry or that works well this film has some of the most aggressively 90s underwear choices like on earth (laughs) there's just like every pair of women's underwear is like satin and like freddie prince jr is wearing like boxers that are like a like a double xl like they're gigantic they are humongous parachute boxers so it's like not an attractive like like oh they're undressed oh they're actually they're actually somehow wearing more clothes now that they've taken clothes off like this is weird and like the uh, first, yeah not the first location the first sex location is on a pitcher's mound and we talked about it earlier <laughs> there are sprinklers it's the summertime it's just not 
Yeah, summertime in the Cape has got to be very You can feel the humidity. You like, can like feel humid. the sticky, sticky if, humid. Ugh. If there is a good place to have sex in public, it's definitely not on that bullpen mound at Veterans Field in Chatham. Like, that's definitely not the, the place. Yeah, that's not the move. Like, that's <laughs> no, I, nothing about it's that. It's clearly the, the press box. Van Lamer, again, just knows it. Just he shouldn't have dropped an entire mat- lit matchbook into some paper. <laughs> this is why uh, we've revolutionized things by having, like, um, flashlights on our cell phones now. Yeah, exactly. It's truly amazing how we can avoid burning buildings down by not needing matches. <laughs> It's just tremendous it's, stuff. It's um yeah. So yeah, I I agree. I feel like um they they're trying to do a lot of those like 90s sex comedy things, but just not very well in this film. The baseball did work well, so they should have leaned more into that, but alas. There's still there's a Cape Cod summer league baseball movie out there that I think this is rife. I think I feel like it's there. Well, somebody needs to do it. We talked about this a bit before we started recording, and I think I've never seen this movie, but I've heard really good things about it. And we were talking about how if this movie had been done dazed and confused style by Richard Linkletter, how much better it would be because of like the following the different chains on a couple different nights or however you want to do it. But Richard Linkletter also made a movie called Everybody Wants Some, which is an 80s baseball minor league movie and i've never seen it but i've been told by many people how good it is and i think that is probably the movie that we want this to be yes so for the good baseball movie podcast you're welcome (laughs) you get that you get everybody wants some by richard linkletter oscar winning director we get summer catch yeah freddie prince jr we've made a terrible mistake truly by the the content of this podcast (laughs) There, there's also like a reality docu-series. And I don't remember which network it was originally on, but it's called the Pecos League. And it follows an independent baseball league out west. And it follows one team specifically. And the guys who are moving in with their host families and living on the road and eating PB&J at night. All these guys that are trying to you know make it in professional baseball. And it's like there's a lot of interesting stories to be told in this like either college, summer league, or independent league baseball you know, middle of nowhere, small town vibes that it's just, I think this movie could have been that and it just wasn't. You know what I want to see as a movie and God help me if somebody steals this now that I've said it out loud. I want to see a fictionalized version of the only rule is it has to work. Oh, that yeah, sensational book about like two stat heads. Sam Miller and Ben Lindbergh. Exactly. Taking over a like minor league, basically unaffiliated, like pack league, nobody team and doing whatever they want with it. And how much fun would that be as a movie? Like to get those other characters in and like have money ball meets bad news bears. Absolutely. Like how fun would that be? Ben, Sam, if you want somebody to write this movie, I've got you. I love this idea. This is, I, I think that would just be a tremendous amount of fun. Like, just license it to us. We, I, 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 my script writing was my uh, thesis in college. So we're now it's out in, in podcast world. So nobody can steal it. I have a a minor in theater production. There you go. We're done. Uh, You know what? It's, it's now it's out there. We will sue. I will be very litigious if I see (laughs) somebody out there. (laughs) We're going to do it. it. Uh, so let's move on. Okay, let's let's wrap this up with 
Some interesting pick. choices here. Who's our raise pick so from the, easy, the Cape Cod Summer League? The easiest cheat, and I'm not going to take it, is Ken Griffey Jr. Okay. I, I actually looked it up. That is the fool's gold of this film. Is it not a good season for him with the Reds? I didn't actually so to, look. So this film came out in 2001. 2001 was okay. It's a 1.8 war season, 125 WRC plus. But that is the down slope of Ken. At this point, Ken Griffey Jr. will basically be injured or ineffective the rest of his career outside of one kind of bounce back year in 2005. Hmm. It's, it's all downhill. So we're... Ken Griffey Jr. will come back maybe next week. Hint for hint for the poll we're about to run. But oh no. There, yeah, bring back polls. But Ken Griffey Jr. could come back um, in a much better form. But yeah, this is that's the fool's gold of this, of this film. So I, I looked up his stats. I had to be I like, like wait, is Ken Griffey Jr.? No, it's dangerous. It's just the decline. It's just the trap waiting for you. My other obvious pick, and I, I won't judge either of you if you take this, is Van Lemer, because obviously he's the better pitcher, but I also think he's a clubhouse cancer, so I have, want no part in that. You don't want a guy that's making fun of other starters on your team. Like, that's no bueno. Uh, I'm taking Miles, the left fielder, because he made, like, a stellar over-the-fence catch at one point and, like, seems pretty consistently aware and seemed like a fairly average decent outfielder of all that we saw on that team i so i think miles is my pick for the rays so a couple i could have a couple outside of the box cop-out answers apparently the in one of the shots of veterans field we see brendan harris former cubs and devil rays shortstop who spent some time in the cape cod league i won't go with him the next cop-out option would be uh, the backup catcher, who was uh, a Florida State player, apparently he was wearing Florida State gear. I won't take him. I'm going to go with, because I have a very strongly held opinion about catchers, that I do not care how they hit. They're all the same. And I will take the terrible hitting Billy Brubaker, because everything we saw out of him defensively, uh, there was nothing wrong. And obviously he's, he, he catches at USC. He has to have some defensive talent. So get him on the raise. Uh, the next uh, Mike Zanino. He was hitting over 268 by midseason. I think he made a good choice here. Like, it's not, he started well below the Mendoza line, but I think uh, by the end of things, he was pretty solid. On that Cape Cod League fan graphs that just has one stat, (laughs) which is batting average. (laughs) That's that's all you need. Um, Well, you know what? If you're just going to leave him to me, I'm taking Eric Van Lemer. Guy's got electric stuff. Yeah, sure. He's a little immature. He's young. Okay. A little bit of a high signing bonus. Don't love that, but you know what? Well, well, the hair is great. My my thing is great hair, great pitcher. That's it's a direct correlation. Um, uh, very scientific. And okay. uh, yeah, yeah, he's a he's a bit of a jerk. Uh, but maybe we get a little discount after some arson, getting kicked off a team, getting into fights. Uh, I'm okay with that. It's I, you know what? I didn't take Bo Gentry because I, uh, I don't, I don't love bat first, uh, first base DH types and bad attitude with a bat first DH type. No, thank you. But a pitcher like that, mm, I can maybe work through some uh, immaturities. So uh, Eric Van Lemer, Rufio, let's go. You're on the team. <laughs> All right, man. That's a risk you're willing to take. I, I feel like that is not the vibe of the Rays clubhouse but i'm not i think if you had a better manager than brian dennehy (laughs) who is just letting things go running wild 
I think I think I Van Lamer, everybody on that team was let down by Brian Dennehy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he might have gotten humbled a little too after realizing that he wasn't going to make two mil from the Dodgers. Um, and the best part about that is that the Rays could flip him three years later to the Dodgers for a different <laughs> here's the thing minor leagues maybe he's a clubhouse cancer but he's going to put up great numbers and then yeah you just trade him for a nice like haul and let somebody else deal with it god bless I love it <laughs> all right does anybody have any last thoughts on summer catcher are we feeling fairly done with this stinker I, I think I feel like the bones of an interesting movie were there, especially that that setting. I think the setting was there, and I really do like that they shot in Cape Cod. Yeah. Um, for a lot of this film, and uh, yeah, I wish I wish most of it was different, <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, I just I love the setting. I thought that was really cool, and there there was an emotional resonance of baseball. Like there was it seemed it seemed like the romantic, the most romance in the film is with baseball. Mm-hmm. absolutely Brett any last words I just hated this one um, it just uh, none of the jokes landed for me uh, it, and it was hard to watch but that's the point of the show so I love getting to talk through it with you guys yeah absolutely I think it started strong like I remember Brett texting us the other night going hey this isn't so bad that's and then the, that's the thing is like the first five minutes I'm like oh they're in college they're drinking yeah. beer they're gonna play some baseball I'm like this is my kind of movie like I just got out of college like this is right it's up fun. my alley yeah. and then it just fell off a steep 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 cliff yeah it, it falls hard and does not regain its balance after that um, so while not the worst of the movies that we have seen so far on this podcast, I think the awards for those two still go to uh, Trouble with the Curve and the Scout. Um, I will hear no slander about Airbud uh, seventh inning fetch, which might still reign. Su- no, Fever Pitch reigns supreme. Fever, is the pi- best one Fever Pitch watch. is really should not have been on this list at all. Mm-hmm. Watching these films, I it is pure we did not know how well we had it that is yeah. such a better film than all of these by like it's a truly an actually march. good baseball movie and i think we snuck it in here we made a we made a terrible mistake but we were no, young I, that was our second part yeah, i know exactly um so this ranks towards the bottom half but uh and i would not recommend you watch it but i mean if it's playing for free somewhere that you literally can't change the channel and you have nothing better to do with your time, which is how I ended up watching seven episodes back-to-back of Ghost Whisperer in Miami, um, then there are worst ways to spend your time, I suppose, uh, is really all I can say about this movie. But uh, going for a walk would be better than watching this. Um, So anyway, uh, that has been our review of Summer Catch. We hope you enjoyed. And uh, as Darby has threatened me, apparently we will be putting up a poll for the next selection. So thanks, Darby. Uh, And we look forward to whatever nonsense you force us to watch next time. So until we meet again, friends, watch better movies than us and let us do the uh, the bad viewing for you. Have a great one. Bye.